Hey, what's up, guys? It's Sean. And Bobby. Coming from you, coming to you live from both New York City and Texas. Good old San Antonio. How was uh, football yesterday? I saw Army won. It was good, man. Uh, it worked out pretty well that I was down here uh, for the game. I didn't even realize I was. Uh, but like last week, I realized it was. I bought my tickets on StubHub for like 20 bucks. So it was nice. Uh, Who'd they play? Like pre-game. They played UTSA. It's just a U- U- University of Texas San Antonio, which I didn't know was a thing. Uh, but they actually had a lot of fans there. That's pretty. I was surprised. Uh, before the game, I went to like a tailgate, um, sponsored by like the West Point Association. So I saw a bunch of people that uh, from like school that I hadn't seen in a while. So it was nice seeing people. Did you guys do like the touching of the ring tips? So I don't even have my ring with me. I haven't worn my ring, and I can't tell you the last time I wore my class ring. Uh, but I felt a little bit outplayed because literally. Everybody had their rings on, and everyone was like, I was like, damn, maybe I should put my ring. What do you think about officers from West Point that wear the ring with every single outfit that they own? Yeah, I don't know, man. It's just like, at one point, it's like you've, quote unquote, earned the right to wear the ring. But at the same time, though, like, you shouldn't let the ring, I guess, like, different. You shouldn't have to rely on the ring to differentiate you as a West Pointer. Yeah, I find that it's a lot of armor officers and aviators that wear the ring exclusively with every single outfit that they put on, including their, like, field uniform. Yeah. Like, I can't... I've probably worn my ring... I can count the time of times I've worn my ring since I've graduated, like, on both hands, probably. And that includes, like, interviews. Actually, I don't even know if I wore my med school interview. I don't know. I, don't, I, don't, I just don't wear it. It's just, like... It's a little too gaudy for me to wear normally, uh, so I just don't feel comfortable wearing it. Well, you don't want that ring to get stuck underneath the skin of some patient that you're going to be doing surgery on. Yeah, the last thing I want to do is drop it in somebody's abdomen. Which, by the way, a statute of limitation for that based on some case law here is it's not beginning for that individual to find that ring shortly after surgery it's when they are officially notified that ring is inside of them that the statute of limitations starts to begin for a cause of action so if you have something in your body from a surgery 20 years ago and you just find it statute of limitations has not run out boom lawyered oh so it's like uh the statute of limitations starts when you are notified that it's there you notify or you find out about, or it. You find out about it yeah that, that way people that have some ill act performed on them by a member of the medical community aren't held in a lesser position than the actual failings of the doctor. Uh, Okay. (laughs) That's too much lawyer talk for me. Yeah, well, we were talking about uh, the the football game, and you mentioned sponsorship, and as always, this podcast is sponsored by Paragon Recovery. Bobby, why don't you go and tell everybody what it is? So Paragon Recovery is the supplement company that we have partnered with. Uh, they uh, offer a wide range of recovery products to include a uh, sleep product, an anti-inflammatory product, uh, a bunch of like fish oil, vitamin D, uh, and CBD products for those of you that are not in the DOD that are legally allowed to take CBD products. Uh, use the code CORONAS15 for 15% off and if you're military or first responder, you can contact them directly for an additional discount code. 
Awesome. Uh, we did a shoot for Paragon a, what is it? that's like two months ago now, right? Yeah, it's been uh, a minute. And, and got some great stuff. And then also for filming uh, our little YouTube channel series about some of the programs that we had coming out, which you can check out on Kilomoto, uh, an app that we've partnered with. We currently have four programs up there, the SFAS, the Ranger, the 175, and the second series of Functional Fitness. And then you can always check us out on cronusfit.org for the programs that are released every weekend, every day, letting you know what the next day will look like for you in the pain cave. Yeah. Oh, dude. Oh, crazy thing that I uh, randomly uh, stumbled upon this week. Have you ever heard of this guy? Hold on, let me pull my phone. I forget his name already. Um, sorry, one sec. I wasn't planning on talking about this, but then I just remembered about it. Are they an Instagram influencer? Kind of. This guy called Dr. Joe Dispenza. Have you ever heard of him before? No. It sounds fake, but do tell. So I was listening to Aubrey, Aubrey Marcus's podcast. Do you know who Aubrey Marcus is? Nope. So he is the CEO of Onnit. So Onnit is the one, uh, the company that is a bunch of like the biohacking supplements and stuff so he's like a pretty interesting guy so we had this guy dr joe dispenza on his podcast and he was talking about how uh how like you can become quote-unquote supernatural it's a little like kind of a, a little out there for me but uh i was listening to it and basically his like theory is that based on like quantum mechanics and some like weird shit inside like our like electromagnetic field inside our bodies and stuff that if you can visualize and like believe in a future, that future will manifest itself for you. Like uh, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy almost. But he like tries to go into like neuroscience and like talking about like visualization activates part of the brain, and then like it gets it does gene expression that leads you towards this goal of yours, uh, which I thought was kind of interesting because for the longest time uh, I thought something kind of similar in that uh like things kind of lined up for me like without me actively trying to do them if that makes sense like uh like if there's like i don't know if it's like a god or like destiny or whatever you want to call it but there's like something out there that was like watching over me to make sure that i kind of realized my goals you know yeah i definitely uh, can uh i could get on board with that I mean, especially when you think about other things that are going on in the world where you've got a, a small band uh, going against what seems like insurmountable odds, but the individuals are so positive and so committed individually and them both as a group with like maybe there's a groupthink aspect and then eventually they get to Mount Doom and they do destroy the One Ring. Right. And it brings back the age of man and the orcs are destroyed. Yeah. But is that just, what you're getting at? Yeah. But it's just like interesting. It was like a little bit, bit more metaphysical. I've been kind of delving into that, uh, that aspect of things and like thinking about stuff like that, just as a, just thinking about it. Uh, another thing that I was thinking about is like, uh, perception, how perception is reality. This is like a corollary, corollary of what he's talking about. And that, like, everything that reality is pretty much what you perceive of it. You know what I'm saying? 
Does that make sense to you? I do. I think when, and we were going to talk transition here in a, a little bit, but transitioning out of the Army was a very uncertain time, but the entire time I was doing it, I was happy to be focused on a different part and future of life and kind of told myself everything is going to work out. Just continue, be passionate about what's coming, persevere through any challenges that I was to face, and then eventually everything works out and you just find a way to get it done. Um, So I definitely think that. I would just hope, though, that for all our listeners out there, if we get together collectively and you say, hey... 2019-2020 season, Philadelphia Eagles, Super Bowl champs, it'll happen. So don't be a dick to the podcast and think any other team. This is where we're going to put it to the test. I don't think I'm using that theory correctly, Bobby, but correct me if I'm wrong. But basically what I was trying to say uh, is that uh, reality is pretty much how you perceive it. So how you interpret reality is what reality is. So if you have a negative light and perceive things in a negative light, you're going to have a negative reality. Whereas if you approach things with a positive light and approach it with a positive attitude, then your life will probably become more positive because you're able to perceive things in a positive manner. So what do you do if you're an individual that does not have a strong support system or is not surrounded by the individuals that can shape some of your immediate surrounding? So I think... That's like a weird way of looking at it because at the end of the day, you have to you have to be able to recognize what you can and cannot control. And you can control like those around you. You can control how you respond to situations. You can't necessarily control your circumstances that you find yourself in. You can't really control, you know, the cars that life dealt you. But you can control how you react to these cars and how you uh, can uh, take these cards and take the circumstances and then manifest your own destiny out of them. And, but it's not saying that's going to be easy. Like you still have to work hard to manifest your goals. Um, but you have to acknowledge the fact that yes, you know, life kind of like dealt you a shitty hand and that, you know, you weren't necessarily given the, the same tools or the same, uh, circumstances that somebody else has, but that shouldn't define you as a person. It shouldn't define your your life. Like you can, you have the ability and capability to to overcome and, and rise above uh, anything that's that life has given you. That's a pretty good way to look at it. I haven't ever really thought about it to that extent. My spirituality is pretty lacking, but I've always thought of reincarnation. And from a very lazy perspective said, God, I really hope that does not exist because it's going to be so much work to try to do the same thing. And if I don't have the same situation or scenario provided to me, I don't know how I'd want to face off against obstacles, which I would never have any idea of to begin with. But I just know how tough it is when you're trying to get to a point of being successful and how much work. And at this point, I'm just saying, you know what? I'm pretty good here, man. Like, (laughs) I don't want to have to redo this. My next self doesn't want to have to redo this. And if I come yeah. back as like a bug or a squirrel, oof. Yeah, it's just like, I know like both you and I have been pretty lucky and been kind of blessed with our circumstances and our parents and kind of how we were raised. But then like contrast that with other successful people who kind of like literally came from nothing, you know? But there's no, I think 
difference necessarily in someone who is given everything and succeeds and someone who has given nothing and still succeeds. At the end of the day, success is like contingent upon your uh, like your inherent abilities and your inherent desire to succeed. Uh, like you might be given everything in the world, but it doesn't mean you're going to be successful either. You know. No, that's truth. Uh, one of the things that can make you successful too is having a path that is provided to you, so you don't have to find your way through the forest. And that was something we talked about earlier this week, and said, okay, for the podcast this weekend, we need to talk about transitioning and how transitioning can both be a challenge but how it's really not as hard as people make it seem and then what limits them from actually getting out is that fear of the unknown when I think in reality we can talk through some of those fears and let people know it's not as challenging as they perceived. Right, yeah. Uh, I don't know if I'm like the best person to talk about transitions because for me, um, I like was deployed uh, in the jog at 375 and then until July and I got back like two weeks before med school started and then transitioned immediately into med school and that's probably like a really like a super rough transition so I think I had a very atypical transition process when compared to um, the ideal process and the kind of the um, what you should be or how you should be transitioning okay so then from the perspective of someone that's in the military that already has a degree or is potentially looking to get that first degree but do it through the army in continued service what steps did you have to take and who were some of the people that you contacted or agencies you had to work with you mean like to start med school yeah to start med school to get into the army program i think we could probably connect this to guys that are looking to go like green to gold or uh, have a degree that want to come back as a lawyer, and then I can talk the process of actually getting out and not having any military affiliation. Mm, okay. So what I did is that, um, well, just to step back a little bit, like I knew from when I was like, I don't know, like fifth grade that I was going to be a doctor one day. Uh, so like for me, that was kind of like uh, a no-brainer that uh, I was going to go to med school to become a doctor. And then... Uh, at West Point, I was in the pre-med program, uh, so with the, so I did all my prerequisites at West Point uh, with intention of going to med school. But then I chose, uh, I think, my junior year to leave that program because I didn't want to go into med school right after graduation. I wanted to do my Army time and Army service because uh, I kind of looked at like med school and medicine as not really uh, like serving, if that makes sense. Yes. Uh, so I wanted to get that service in and then do that, get that uh, experience in. So then when I was in the Army, uh, I was doing kind of like my application process. Uh, I was with Big Army and was about to apply when I was in Big Army, but then I ended up getting to, uh, selected to go to RASP. And that kind of pushed back my timeline to go to med school. So then the next decision, it was just like a series of like decision points that I would reached in my life of like what I was going to do. So like that decision point was uh, either I go to med school or I get out as a captain after my five years or I can go to like captain's crew course and stay in as an FA officer. Uh, the FA officer was definitely not possible. There was no way I was going to stay in the Army as an FA officer just because I kind of hated that. 
um, I thought about getting out or so for me, the decision point was either getting out and then going into work in the civilian sector or to go to med school. And then because of my kind of like history and my desire to be a doctor, I chose to go apply to med school. Um, so in order to do that, I, then I had to take, uh, I had to take my prerequisites. Well, I didn't take, I had to take prerequisites, but I had to take the MCAT, uh, and then, um, apply for med school and then apply for the army scholarship. And what did you have then, to do for the Army scholarship piece? Yeah, that was uh, relatively straightforward. I just had to find a recruiter, like a healthcare recruiter, uh, and then they talked to me and kind of gave me like the lowdown of the process. Very cool, very cool. And what was the hardest part beyond studying for the MCAT and the application? Like what kind of costs did you incur through that process? Uh, the biggest cost was honestly just applying to med school. Uh, applying to med school is a very uh, cost costly endeavor uh, because to apply for school, you have to pay the application fee, and then they'll send you a secondary application, which you have to pay another application fee. Uh, so I ended up spending like a, over like a thousand, like almost like two thousand dollars just on application fees itself, paying for the MCAT, paying for like. Um, MCAT preparation books because you I mean at that point I had like hadn't done schoolwork or done like anything academic in four plus years so I kind of like needed to get the review books in to study and then this is all while I was in uh, so that was kind of that was a, a very big struggle because I was like you know during the day I would be at work and then I'd come home and study some more so it was just a kind of a very long grind to get to that point. And did you have the Army pay for the MCAT? No, so the Army doesn't cover the MCAT. They only cover for if you're selected to the program. They Then they cover, like, med school and that, some of that stuff. Oh, uh, that's that's weird. When I was studying for the LSAT and the GRE and GMAT for individuals that were looking to go to professional graduate programs, the Army essentially allocated, like, $150 for you through the ed center to take a test once you registered for the test and took it you took your receipt to the location and then you received a voucher for that amount for continued education that's interesting they probably had that for the mcat but i just had no idea about it hmm. and, and what about application fees did you have any of those waived or reduced for applying to med school mm, not that i know of but i probably could have i just didn't know about it and then Finally, when you were applying to med school, was there a common application page, like, you know, for Common App getting into undergrad, or did you have yeah. to go to each school? Yeah, they have, like, a Common App portal where you, like, fill out one application and send that to the other to the med schools, and then from there, they'll, like, come back and send you secondary applications to kind of, like, weed out people that they are looking at further. So I got a lot of secondary applications, but I only got two interview offers, and then uh, one acceptance to the med school I'm currently at. So, so and like did 15 you, schools. Yeah, so one. 15 schools, it's a lot of applications. And with that, when you built like a professional resume, did you go to a specific location to build that resume out? Or did you just look something generic up offline and start tailoring it to your experiences? Yeah, I just, I just did it myself. Uh, that's why I said like I'm kind of atypical in that I didn't really use any of the resources that were available to me because I didn't know about the resources. Uh, for example, like applying to med school, I was so uh, out of out of the cycle. It was like almost pitiful. 
like I didn't submit my application until Thanksgiving of the application cycle. And like for anybody that is interested in this in the application cycle, you want to submit your application in July. And schools start interviewing people in like September uh, for med school. So by the fact that I submitted my application in November, I was already like four months late for the application cycle. So honestly, it was kind of like a miracle that I even got interviews and even got into med school because I'd submitted so late. Okay, so now you've gotten to med school. You're getting ready to go. Did you have any issues with still being in, having your BAH stopped, started, or corrected towards your geographical region? Do you have any issues with pay since you went from being a captain to a second lieutenant while you were in school? Yeah, so that's another... um kind of issue that I ran into real, that was pretty significant. So, uh, cause I can't for the HPS piece of the health profession scholarship program, the scholarship program that the mil- the army or the military offers for people going to med school, you have to be in the reserves and the reserve status, uh, as a second lieutenant, uh, in order to go to school. So for me, because I was still West Point, I still owed six months, uh, of my West Point commitment. I had to get a waiver to get to resign my commission basically to get get out of the army then to only recommission in the reserves as a second lieutenant so uh my my application took like a long time to get done uh so i actually had to start med school and pay for med school out of pocket because um the army hadn't accepted me into the scholarship yet because i still was considered active duty and hadn't actually gotten into the program yet uh so that that was kind of a huge pain in the ass yeah it's kind of cause some anxiety, especially if you're trying to budget out where your money is going to getting stretched. And then if you're in a state that doesn't have the protections that New York recently established through Governor Cuomo, where if you're a veteran and you're either in school or transitioning into school, if that money from the you know Veterans Association, GI Bill, Montgomery Bill, 9-11, whatever you have paying for school and then a yellow room program, if that hasn't kicked in yet, you aren't assessed a late fee. So you can kind of sit back a little bit and go, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to get crushed by my program and I can start on time. Yeah, luckily, like, uh, like I said, I was right before deployment. So during, I just saved all that deployment money because I kind of knew that um, I was kind of need to have some cash on hand just in case. And luckily, I saved aside. I put aside like like several thousand dollars, and I was able to pay for meds the first two months of med school out of pocket, which ended up being like twenty thousand dollars. That sucks. I bet a Cronus Scholars Program might have helped with some of that. So, for all of you who are transitioning and getting into school, get over to the Cronus Scholarship page, put your applications in, and later this month we will be announcing the winners of our first year. Yeah. Yeah, we've got a couple applicants so far. Uh, just uh, get your application in. We'd love to see some more people. Uh, but so that's the, the military thing with staying in and some of the issues that you would have. I think getting out of the Army had similar issues, but I had a couple more resources than individuals that would be going through staying in the Army to come back in the Army after the program. And what I mean yeah. by that is... Hire our heroes doesn't mean that when you're transitioning and you go through this congressionally sponsored program that you have to find a job after the program. It's provided so that anyone who wants to take part in it does so and won't have their 
career options outside of the Army Limited. I knew I was going to go to law school where I had a pretty strong inclination uh, of going to law school based on some of my scores and talking with schools. But I said I still wanted to do the Hire Our Heroes program because while there, they teach you how to write resumes. They teach you how to update your LinkedIn profile. It seems all very basic and intuitive, but there are small pieces that I hadn't put together as far as the puzzle was concerned to project to a transitioned audience that you are ready for employment or you're ready for school. And then while there in the Hire Our Heroes program, you learn how important it is for networking, which went well beyond just finding a job, uh, dressing the part for interviews, which I know for some schools is a requirement, especially if you're going for like an MBA program or medical school, you might have to fly out somewhere to interview mm -hmm. with a veterans organization. But getting out of the Army seemed really daunting with all of those other goals right behind my exit date of August. And it was between studying for the LSAT, applying to 15 schools as well, uh, finding out where you were going, and then budgeting. When you get out of the Army, if you have full benefits, which for ROTC individuals, that's three years plus the four that you incur if you've gone active duty, um, you then receive E5 BAH for the zip code your school is located without dependents. Mm -hmm. Like Bobby said, one of the things that I've still not been paid for yet is my BAH, and I'm over a month into school, and I've had two pay periods already covered between August and September. The good news is that when applying to schools, I specifically chose programs that had a very high yellow ribbon contribution, and some schools like uh, Miami, for instance, had like a $5,000 yellow ribbon program for individuals coming into their graduate degree programs. So if the GI Bill was awarding $26,000 per year for individuals at law school, Miami would only provide an additional 5000 which left about $25,000 on the table per year for loans. And if you're looking at going back to school, you know, it's like, why, if you've earned a full GI Bill or even partial benefits, would you go anywhere where you're really just building up a debt? Because a school is a school is a school. Unless you're going to like a top seven law school or like a top 10 medical school with residency programs available, I don't think there is a huge difference in going to the 20th school in the nation to like the 120th other than maybe some locational aspects for follow-on employment. Yeah. And with that, trying to manage, okay, I'm going to apply. You go through e-benefits and you submit your information. When you do go to e-benefits and you're trying to see how much of your GI Bill you've earned, just be advised that when you put that submission date in, if you know you're going to have 100% of benefits three months from now and you apply today, it's not going to show that you have 100% until you reapply after your three years has accrued. They're not going to forward date your ETS date uh, off of your application. They're just going to really strictly look at when it was submitted. So a couple of my buddies that were getting out had an issue where they applied for the programs, and they said, hey, you only have 80% or 90% because you have to do an additional two months. It's like, well, I have to stay in regardless. I'm going to have the two months, but it doesn't matter for the application. Mm. So that's that's kind of frustrating. 
and then getting out and taking advantage of the Ed Center where they paid for at least one of the programs and then transitioning costs. Um, finding a loan, if you go through the, the standard uh, government-provided uh, school loans, the way this, the loans are dispersed is you apply for them and you sometimes, if you're going to a graduate program, you had a, a grad uh, loan and then a grad plus. And grad plus is solely for individuals getting graduate degrees and goes up to, I think, something like $50,000 a year if you wanted it on top of like the 20000 you can get for the standard grad uh, unsubsidized loans. And that yeah, money, so will, that goes to the school. And if the school says like, yeah, you're at a full scholarship, about two weeks after school starts, they send that money back to you. But the school has to confirm first through their VA rep that you have 100% uh, paid for already by Yellow Ribbon or by the government. Gotcha. Yeah, it sounds like a pretty convoluted process to uh, do this stuff. Like, how do you know how to do it? I didn't. I spent a lot of time uh, trying to talk to individuals um, that were already in school. And that's where LinkedIn really paid off. I never thought it was a resource that could connect you to individuals for school advice. I thought it was just mm -hmm. a professional networking for hiring. But I would type in the name of the law school I was interested in going into. I would further reduce the feedback I'd get from LinkedIn for all of the individuals that had ever graduated there to military. And then I would reach out professionally to those people and say, hey, what did you do? What made you successful at doing this? I contacted the school's registrar's office and uh, finance offices and said, you know, your website says you are a 100% yellow ribbon um, contribution matching organization. What mm -hmm. does this mean? Some schools only have, you know, maybe 10 slots available for yellow ribbon, while others have unlimited resources to provide. And uh, you're going to find that difference in a lot of state schools to private schools. And then slowly but surely, it, it really was much more simple than I ever thought it was going to be applying to schools. The hardest part was just being smart enough on the standardized tests to, to actually get in and explain why my GPA in undergrad was in the toilet. Mm -hmm. If you could go back and like redo anything, would you do, what would be some advice that you'd give yourself like if you were getting out and doing this all over again, what would you do? As far you? as studying for the LSAT, and this goes for guys that are studying for the GMAT or GRE, I would take a course in person. I did an online course for LSAT prep and read some books, but it was because it was 75% of the cost of an in-person classroom experience and saved me some driving time to go up to Denver to take these courses, but it was less helpful and I saw less of a jump in my score than my friends and peers who had gotten private tutors or had taken in-person classes because mm -hmm. you get immediate feedback and there's someone there to point out maybe some of your questions where if you do it online, you're in this weird AIM group chat, the professor's talking or the teacher's talking and guys can be doing something else like in their house, like I could meal prep during my classes. So it wasn't like I was devoting that singular right. effort to getting better. What about, uh, did the military cover any of this stuff? I don't remember if they did or not. 
No, I ever. I actually didn't even take advantage of the Ed Center opportunity to, to pay for one LSAT uh, test. And then the other costs, too, that weren't provided by the military, but a lot of the schools uh, offered were discounts on the application. So through applying to law school, you used LSAC, which was mm -hmm. the common app. And then schools would sometimes have anywhere from a 45 to a $90 application fee on top of that per application. Mm -hmm. So if you applied to 10 schools and between the LSAC fee, which is $35 an app, plus the average of, let's say, like 60 bucks, you know, you're looking at $1,000 simply just for your application costs. And yeah. that, that doesn't include trying to do stuff like show up at the school and meet a member of the admissions council doing, yeah. you know, a unofficial tour. So it's, it's quite costly. Yeah. But you said that they covered, the, the, the military covers that? Military doesn't cover that. You have to send, you know, a picture of your license, or not your license, excuse me, your ID card, or a memorandum from, like, your first-line supervisor saying that you're still in the military. And you send that to the school. The school provides a code to your Common App website, and then your application fee is waived. And you always try to gotcha. gem it up like, hey, like, this is so-and-so. I'm in the Army. Like, you know, like, you're welcome. You guys offer military discount? You got it? And then they're like, oh, my God, like, thank you, yes. And then you're like, oh, my God, I'm totally going to get in because they want to thank me for my service. And then, like, three months later, you get a letter back saying, like, no fucking way. <laughs> <coughs> all right. So what about, like, uh after all the application process w was finished and like you are now in school, do you have any thoughts about um, kind of coming out of the military and then like readjusting or reassimilating into civilian life, especially in higher education? Absolutely. Get rid of your high and tight haircut if you've got it or that weird like junior captain haircut you might have where it's still a slight fade and you look like you're dress for like combat casual because everyone can point you out from a mile away so dress down a little bit don't be as strict with your haircut standards now it can touch your ears it's not a big deal but as far as interacting with peers it's been it's been kind of weird i think a lot of professional programs now individuals aren't coming directly out of school they might have two to three years of work experience Communication is something that is vastly different between individuals in the military and schools and students because the military is way more succinct in communicating and doesn't use such flowery language that you might see coming out of institutions nowadays or kids expecting immediate feedback and getting gratification from a teacher's assessment. A lot of graduate programs offer minimal feedback. It's you did this well, you did this poorly, see ya, next person. And that's probably a little bit of an adjustment for individuals that are used to a lot of feedback or mm -hmm. receiving signals for performance. Gotcha. Yeah, I was like, when I was starting med school, I think I had like a kind of growing into period where I was like, did not really make a lot of friends. I still actually don't have a lot of friends in med school, but I think I have like a couple good friends that I like am more close with and then just a bunch of acquaintances. So I think a lot of it's just like, uh, it's hard to find like commonalities and finding people that have shared interests that you do, especially cause you know, not many, I, I don't know how many, how many in your law class, but like there was only one other veteran in my med school class. 
Yeah, there's only a couple uh, in my program and then in the school in general. One of the things that's really weird is there's a there's a perception of military individuals that no matter what you did in your branch of service, that you were just this coffee grounds, you know, packing that in your bottom lip, grinding on it through yeah. combat, you know, taking a taking a pack of cigarettes off of your helmet and lighting one up after some huge firefight and wearing a poncho over your head walking in the rain in the jungles of, you know, warfare that doesn't exist nowadays that people have of you. And so I've had a couple ask as they started to learn that I'm in the military stuff like, what did you think about Bo Bergdahl? What do you think about Iraq and Syria and Afghanistan? What do you think we should do here? So if you're getting out of the military and you really can't articulate any of those answers or you feel weird trying to talk about it, understand that that's completely okay because yeah. you're coming from an environment where you don't want to give too much away. You don't want people to know what your feelings are because you're supposed to be apolitical. You just follow what the executive branch tells you to do and you uphold a standard. And then now you have an opinion, but you're wondering, okay, how far should my opinion really extend from the professional life that I've lived from anywhere from four to, you know, 20 years. Is, is there a limit or can I now speak freely? Oh, if I speak freely, now am I going to indict the organization that I just came from? So practicing answering questions like that before you get out would probably be something to look into. So if you get a hard question, you know how to answer it professionally, indicating yeah. how you feel, but you also don't damn your peers that are still in the fight. Yeah, because I think a lot, I mean, like, when it comes down to it, you might, like, just generally speaking, like, you might be the first person that your peer has ever talked to that's been in the military or, like, directly known that's been in the military. So then you become, like, this archetype of every military veteran out there. And then that kind of, like, should should play a little bit into kind of your response and how you act around your peers because you're literally the only, probably the only direct influence or experience I've ever had with somebody in the military. It's like if what, you are a good or bad person, that kind of like shifts their entire perspective of the same group of people. What's really weird though is I've met some dudes in the Navy and not one has been a Navy SEAL, which right, right, right. I thought everyone in the Navy was a SEAL. I just don't yeah. know where I got that wrong. But yeah, I think it's like, because uh, I did the same thing too. Like people would ask me questions and I had to like, I just be like, all right, this is my personal perspective and this should not, you know, like sum up the entire military experience or like this is like typical of everybody that's in the military. I think part of it is just like you have to just be honest and upfront with the, who's at, who you're talking to and just say like, hey, these are my experiences. They're not representative of like everybody in the military or representative of everybody that, you know, was in the same job that I did. Yeah, and if you're if you're getting out and you're you know, you're not combat arms, people are going to have a hard time kind of conceptualizing maybe what you've done because it's not going to be what they've seen on TV. Yeah. And there's no need to try to inflate, you know, service. People are very respectful, even those that I've met that are are very very liberal in their political ideology are still respectful and grateful for service because it is a volunteer organization. And the opportunities for, for growth and maturity in the military come much sooner than any other professional organization 
in the United States. And that, that's something that is completely understood. Um, the expectation, though, is that you take those experiences and speak to them in a very professional way. Um, right. So you, you don't have to lie about service because others yeah. will find out. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely be upfront and like be just be honest with your service because there's nothing more than, you know, people hate is like someone that makes up their fake war stories. Stolen yeah. So if you're an MP or an armor officer, you don't have to tell people that what you did was basically the infantry. You don't have to do it. Uh, you know, just tell them what you did at the front gate or sitting in your Cadillac on, you know, a track. You don't have to say that you were the infantry because um, they're not going to get it. Right. They don't really care. Because you're not infantry. Don't, don't you ever fucking say that. Anyways, so I think that was pretty, pretty heavy what we just talked about. You want to shift anything, any, any, any more light stuff that you want to talk about this for this week? Uh, yeah. Have you tried that pre-workout bang? No, man. I don't take pre-workout anymore. I, my pre-workout's coffee, and I drink maybe a cup before I work out. I, I do too, but I kind of want to try it. Um, I've seen a lot of influencers on the Instagram talk about it. It's uh, just an energy drink. That's all it is. It's an energy drink with some creatine put into it. But whenever one of our friends posts that video of him drinking bang, it's always with a fire emoji, fire coming up on his story and listening to Slipknot. So, like, I feel like it has to work. I think if you're willing to pay the three bucks, whatever it is for a can of bang, go for it. But, you know, my cup of coffee is like 20 cents. So, Well, then what's your, what's your favorite crap that an Instagram influencer pushes? Like Zevia? I like Zevia. Zevia's delicious. What's the, I don't get Zevia, man. I feel like it's the same as LaCroix. So Zevia actually is sweet. It's like uh, it's like diet soda that's made with stevia, so it's a little bit quote unquote healthier. Doesn't have like coloring and stuff. I don't know. I like Zevia. It's, it's so like it's a, not it's not like taking a can of soda water and punting it by a produce stand and hoping no, that a no, flavor no. gets in. It actually tastes like like soda. That's like definitely a little artificially sweetened. <laughs> okay, have but you like, tried like White Claw? No, I don't do the whole seltzer thing. My sister came over the other day, uh, and she had been like walking from her job, like through the very hot streets of New York. And I texted her, "Do you want a seltzer?" And she said yes. You know, she didn't know that I didn't have any seltzers except like a hard seltzer that my roommate had picked up. So I gave her the hard seltzer, thinking that like as a millennial she would love it. And then she immediately knew that it was like bottom drawer, not white claw. So. I've got to get on the same page as my sister because I can't tell the difference. I'm not a huge fan of them. Yeah, it's just like, I don't know, I just drink beer. Uh, to me, like the hard seltzer is just like vodka mixed with like seltzer water. It's just like, I still taste alcohol. <laughs> is that the alcohol that's in them? It's vodka? It's, I think it's like some kind of like distilled alcohol that they like mix. I don't know how they make it, but I assume it's like, it's like malt liquor type thing. Hmm. Yeah, I don't think uh, Kernisfit would not be down for something like that. But if you own something that sells like boxes of random shit that you want us to push on the page, like I would model some sweatpants for you. Bobby and I would totally model sweatpants. Or a Lululemon. I don't know why Lulu hasn't reached out to us yet. I mean, like I can only wear that stuff so many times to the gym and provide so many shows to people walking by on the street to not be paid for it is kind of unacceptable. 
Yeah, like, Lulu's, like, the only clothes I wear outside of the gym. Our gym has uh, big blinds because we face kind of, like, southeast. So, like, at certain points of the day, like, the sun is very bright coming through the uh, skyline. And people will put the blinds down. I, I Like, I go, I lift those blinds straight up. I mean, people walking by deserve to see the show. Oh. I mean, if you're going to put me in an environment that's like a circus and I'm performing for you and you see a lion fighting a tame, you know, it's tamer than, you know, by all means, people should see that. I don't know how you work out in a place that has so few windows, to be honest. Yeah. That's like uh, at the hospital down here at San Antonio at Brook Army. They have that like an outdoor, cent- it's like a courtyard inside, like outside the hospital, but like inside courtyard inside the hospital. So like around the gym, quote unquote gym, it's like they're all windows. People just walk by all the time and watch me. It's kind of my favorite thing to do, except it's just hot as dick. Uh, down in San Antonio, and all the CrossFit stuff they have at their gyms down here, they're all outdoors. They have like those, like, you know, those Connex gyms with like racks in them. Oh, yeah. Kind of, it's like the shitty deployment gyms. I, I fucking hate this base because they have no good gyms. Like, I guess because it's not like a force comm unit here, it's like Tradoc slash Medcom. They just don't have the money to, to, to afford like a good gym. Like up at Lewis, like they have probably the, one of the best gyms that I've ever been to for CrossFit. It's like fucking 15 racks with 15 like platforms, assault bikes, ski ergs, rowers, you know, they have like everything. But here, like I have to, I get like, there's like one rower per gym. And it's like one of those like concept C1 models that are like 15 years old and just running out of piece of shit. We've got these rowers here that are like they actually push water, and it's yeah, so like unnecessary. The, those are like the yuppie ones. Those are the yuppie rowers. Yeah, they sit like a foot and a half off the ground, so it's really weird yeah. being that high and rowing, and the seat's kind of cushiony, and people yeah. kind of just sit on there and kind of do bicep curls with a slight leg push. Yeah, that's like the the, the yuppie like millennial rower. That's what I loved about Audie Murphy. It's like you could go back to the more strict strength portion of that gym in that mm-hmm. back room, or you could just set your platform up and your squat rack up up in the middle of the floor so that every dude walking in knew who was going to lift the most. And obviously, if someone came in stronger, you had to get the fuck out. That was the yeah. rule. That was Audie. I do miss like a good army gym. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's why I do not like about down here in San Antonio. Just like, cause all they have down here is like the AIT slash like all these medical schoolhouse like courses, and then they have like the hospital here, but there's no like actual unit here. So there's no like what I would call like that killer mentality or like the alpha male alpha male mentality. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, if you're in the military and you're looking for that mentality in a gym a very weird place that you'll find it. And Bobby and I have both been there. And if you're looking to go on a vacation somewhere, Cape May, New Jersey, it's a lovely beach, very Southern exit of Jersey on the Atlantic. Uh, you can take the ferry from Lewis, Delaware, if you want to get there or, or just take the, the garden state and turnpike down. But the coast guard gym there is incredible. They've got five or six runners now, uh, two or three ski ergs, a ton of rowers, great Olympic racks, uh, great Olympic bars, deadlift bars, trap bars, all the dumbbells, kettlebells you'd ever need, uh, D-balls that go up over 100 pounds, slam balls. Well, I mean, it's like 
the guy I ran into him over the summer when I was there that runs the the strength program for all the new Coast Guard initiates and candidates that are coming through is like a huge workout nerd. And he said, if they're going to put me in charge of this stuff, I'm going to make sure that we have the nicest equipment while the government wants to pay for it. So you yeah. got your DOD access card and you're on vacation. Go hit that gym up. It's it will make so many military army gyms look like absolute trash. And then you find out that it's for someone sitting on a boat that's the size of my apartment. Yeah. I think I mean, like the basic trainers don't even use that stuff. They use like the bike like the spin bikes, don't they? Yeah, that's all they do. It's like it's spin bike workouts and maybe some swimming, but I've never seen any like company formation runs in the yeah. you know number of times that I've been there. Yeah. But yeah, that's a great gym. But uh, I'm talking about like the the alpha culture in, in some gyms. Like I like to brag was pretty cool. Like some of the gyms on brag, they have like that really like alpha male personality where it was just like all like it was like a bunch of like 18 X-rays or like uh, guys in the in the Q chorus were coming into the gym and he like all right, people are here to fucking work. People are here to like throw down. People are here to get big. Oh, it's like and the like, CRTF. Yeah, yeah, and then especially like obviously battalions, you're gonna have like that environment where everyone's trying to get fucking yoked but like here it's just like people are just at, like it was kind of embarrassing i was like inside the gym i was like snatching and then this guy's next to me he's got like like those you know those bodybuilding like shoes that like people wear like people buy i don't know yeah the rock wears them yeah but like he's got like those he's got like the the long socks the compression tights like the skinny like muscle tank the stringer tank whatever and he's like deadlifting 315 and he like picks it up he's like and like is like all animated and like making all this noise and like drops it from like hip height i'm like dude that's 315 like what the fuck and this other guy was like squatting 135 and he was like hyping himself up for every squat like slapping himself, like like breathing real heavily, trying to hype himself up, like one thirty five. I'm like, dude, like, what the fuck is going on in this gym? Yeah, and they'll wear wrist wraps when they squat. They've got the Beats headphones on. They yeah. wear sleeves regardless of the weight or the activity. Yeah, man, uh, it's so bad. It's bad. I I think what your workout attire. If I see someone walk into the gym and like, you know, you could tell they have like decent legs, and they walk over to the squat rack, and they're not all geared out. I'm probably going to assume that that dude knows what he's doing, especially if his yeah. like upper back is developed. You can tell he, he's used to carrying weight or his his lower back and hamstrings look like they've been worked on through like some GHD machine. Like that's the guy that you go, okay, I'm, I'm worried that he might just like no belt 405 real quick. And then I have yeah. to be forced to leave. I mean, you can like, you can just tell somebody knows what they're doing just by looking at them. Like, all right, this guy probably knows what he's doing. Yeah, I actually made a, made a uh, met a met a buddy at the gym working out this past week, uh, just randomly. Cause I'll do that like uh, I'll I'll just start chatting people up at the gym, and this guy was in the reserves out of Houston. He said and he was here. He's an intel guy, and he's getting mobilized to go deploy. And I was like, so you're an intel guy going overseas? I was like, do you know what task force you're working for? He's like, yeah, I can't really tell you because I don't really know myself. But I'm a classified mission. So I was like, all right. I get what you're picking. I'm picking up what you're putting down. So, like, uh, it was trying cool. We were just chatting a little bit about CrossFit, chatting about working now and, like, deployments and stuff. But it was a pretty, pretty, pretty random guy that I was just chatting up at the gym. That was something that the task force word that I didn't understand where it came from in the conventional army. Like, yeah. on, on all the deployments, you'd be like, oh, task force Tomahawk, 
Task Force Bear Eagle, Task Force Watermelon Squashers, and you're like, why are you guys calling yourself this? Why aren't you just using your unit names? Unit names, yeah. And then all of a sudden, like doing some rotations and deployments with you know the Ranger Regiment, and you hear Task Force this and Task Force, you're like, oh. It's just like the high and tight, like the cool guys do it and then everyone else has to do it too. So instead of just being proud of your name, you got to come up with some weird fucking nickname and then that goes on challenge coins and everyone's like, yeah, I was in Task Force War Eagle. I've got no clue what the fuck that is, man. What unit were you in? Obviously the 101st. Uh, Okay, yeah, would not have known that. You could have just said the 101st. You're like 2101. I would have been able to put that together, but I have no idea what you nickname each other inside of the FOB. But I think the task force are called task force because they're like different units put together to form the task force, even though they're all, they're all conventional units. Uh, maybe. I, I've got, I think that, well, that's like saying, instead of just having a brigade, like an infantry brigade, it's a brigade combat team now because right. they're attaching all of these units or Task Force 128 down at Benning. Yeah. The the old uh, Sledgehammer Brigade for 3ID. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's now like they have, I want to say per battalion now, they attach a engineer company, uh, a field artillery company, like an armor and an infantry company. It's something weird that they were doing. Yeah. It was well, like a battalion the, size element. It, yeah, it's a battalion size element, but it's like adcon, which is yeah. It's like oh, I always felt Devardi was really weird when yeah. I realized that there was a fires brigade. But why did he need a fires brigade if the battalion was down at an IBCT? It, it's yeah. like it creates weird chains of command. No, I agree. The Devardi thing was super weird. They like started implementing that when I was at like big army. They started putting bringing up the Devardis, and I was like. So you're saying that if I'm an FSO, I can just say that I, ha- I can't come to work today because I have Devardi duties or something? <laughs> it's like, so who do I belong to? It's yeah, like where they'd be like, Devardi, and the Fires Battalion to... would have to have all of their training resourced by the brigade, but then approved by Devardi, and then the rounds right. came from Devardi. It's like, that. What? why are we doing this? Yeah, it's very annoying. But outside of pay grades, I suppose. That's why I got out. I don't want to be that dude. Yeah. What do you got the rest of the today? I have probably five hours of contract law. And then I got to put out the weekly dispatch. And then I have some more reading on, I don't know, something else law related. Yeah. How about you? Yeah, I've I've got two more weeks here. I'm just hanging out today. I'm like uh, at this point just trying to like get through these next two weeks without like losing my mind. So I'm just trying. Actually, I'm, I'm concentrating more on like working out just because of the opens coming up uh, in like four weeks. So I'm trying to like. Make it's sure already my, here. Yeah, the open comes. I think it's October 10th. 10:10 is when the first open is. Workout is. Okay, what do you think the first workout is? If it's anything like any other year, it's probably be like a 15 to 20 minute AMRAP or something. Okay. And amongst our friend group, who do you think wins the first workout? Me. Who do you think gets second? I'm not going to say the name. 
it's not me. You aren't going to list me. That's bullshit, dude. Oh, you're doing the open this year? I don't know. Maybe. I'll, I'll look at the first workout if my wrist can handle it. Just sign up for it. 20 bucks. Ugh. I had to pay $20 Man, for a cover at a bar in Brooklyn, and uh, I don't think I want to spend money to get like completely shafted again. Do hashtag ChronosFit to get put it on a ChronosFit custom leaderboard. Oh, yeah, that is. We, we did that last year. Yeah, we had like seven people do it last year. You know what's great is we've got, uh, there are a, a couple hundred people following the uh, Kilomoto programs right now. We'll get something going where we post the workout every week on Kilomoto. So uh-huh. go and log your scores there, and that can be another check to see uh, the hierarchy of the Cronus Fit athletes currently dominating military installations and civilian gyms around the world. Yeah, I'm really curious to see if people will use the hashtag ChronosFit on their open profiles of this year. It's kind of curious to see how much it's grown because last year we only had like five or six people doing it. Uh, but I know this year I think we've got a significant amount, like significantly more people following us. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm pretty excited to see where it goes. We should also try to look at doing a war of the programs. So the guys that are doing the... Uh, military prep exercises like every week we'll have the same workout put out by the open and we'll compare uh, scores if we get feedback from the athletes uh, which programs based on you know endurance and the others based on anaerobic and strength conditioning uh, get higher scores on, on an average did your program loses 10 out of 10 times there's no way that your program can like compare I, I program for the open, you know that, right? <laughs> like I program for CrossFit Open. Hey guys that are preparing for selection and Ranger School and RAS, did you hear that? Did you hear yeah. that? Time There's time 10 to show times up. Out of ten, the guys that are doing my programming are going to win on the CrossFit Open because that's what they pro- that's literally what I program for. I pray the open this year doesn't have a ten k run. I pray for you and the functional fitness guys that follow they CrossFit. They will never. They will never do that because. One, the, how are you going to measure 10K for an open workout? Make people Maybe go volunteer for a race. Row. Maybe we'll do a 5K row because that's like an open implement. But Well, then you're fucked. I don't, I'm pretty sure I can still pull 5K faster than you can. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Oh, this, this sunny Sunday just got really dark and gloomy. Well, all I'm saying, Sean, is that... Uh, you better hope your fitness level is up this year. <laughs> I don't know where it is right now. I've been doing so much running, though, on the uh, the assault runner and combining that with some some thruster work. So I think this year, double unders, thrusters, and running, like, I won't stop. That's a, uh, that's a 10 out of 10 Sean over Bobby. Yeah, the, the issue is they will never have a running workout and an open workout. Well, Dave Castro is an asshole, so I'm sure eventually he'll get it in there. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm actually like definitely not as conditioned as I am being here in San Antonio because, one, uh, I'm like in the hospital probably like 70 hours a week right now, if not more. And then it's just a struggle trying to work out with these shitty fucking gyms down here. There's like Yeah, nothing. well, you had the same issue last year when you visited me at Carson and you came up to Elevation and we did that 10 to 1 uh, what was it, thruster over the bar burpee workout. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I, I was like, oh, this is the day. Bobby's going to 
he's going to learn today. And then, uh, yeah, I got shit on. I got shit on over and over. Yeah. I think it passes. Bobby's really fit, guys. Yeah. I I actually hope somebody can beat me this year in in the CrossFit. And then the Cronus Open. The Cronus Open. That'd be kind of cool if someone could beat me. It's thrown out there. If anyone wants to hop on the hashtag CronusFit leaderboard, if you can beat me, I'll give you a shirt, a t-shirt. Oh, damn. I was going to say, like, top five in the Cronus Fit Open get free t-shirts, but you're saying anyone. Oh, you want to do, we can do that. If you, like, do top five in the Cronus Fit leaderboard and you get a free t-shirt, if you are number one or if you beat me, you can get two t-shirts. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to have to review that from a legal standpoint as a contract. Yeah. This ball. is le- not legally binding it, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Subject to... Uh, receiving an offer from the offeree for acceptance so we'll we'll get there don't worry about it guys uh, i uh, i won't make the law too complicated okay all right man i guess i'll let you get back to doing your homework i'm gonna go get some groceries prep for, get ready for this week of of uh of bullshit yeah why don't you go make sure that the functional fitness followers are prepared for endurance and just hope that that's not the first workout well here's the thing i program endurance stuff one to two times a week. So I was like, I don't know why, you, like, I obviously have more superior programming. <laughs> How dare you, sir? <laughs> this is a family, <laughs> this is a family event. <laughs> a little friendly competition never hurt anybody. <laughs> All right, man. Well, you have a good rest of your weekend. Uh, yeah, brother. We'll, we'll talk to you later. I'll listen to Brain Body Bobby when you release it. And yeah, I'm uh, still trying to figure out what I'm going to talk about this week. I haven't figured it. I haven't decided yet. Why don't you talk about the science behind your your programming so it can I maybe I can finally understand how you're you're going to best my military prep athletes. Actually, that's a good idea. I actually some people actually didn't mention that uh they want to hear me talk about programming and how I program. So that's probably what I will do this week is talk about my programming style. That's cool, man. I'm going to talk about something similar about Syria and uh ISIS and the Houthis in uh, Yemen. Cool. All right, man. Have All a good right. rest of your weekend. I'll talk to you later. Catch you later. All Go right, birds. See you guys. Later.